Hi, I'm Jessie. Hi, this is Helen. And we're Asian Bitches Down Under. It is now the etching towards the middle of November. Yes. Uh, everything's going fine over here in Sydney. We are in now uh, Darkinjan land. <clears throat> we just had a massive storm last night. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you have storm in Sydney yesterday? Like we had massive. We did, storm. yeah. So and, I was out yeah. in uh, Newtown. Uh, mm-hmm. I went out with a friend to Tokyo Taco. Oh, you went to Tokyo Taco again. Again, yeah. <laughs> it's like my third or fourth visit. It's nice. and I always get the same thing. It's okay. quite reliably good. So for your student, yeah, I think consistency uh, is very important for restaurants and cafes. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a sort of uh, low brow but delicious uh, rest. I wouldn't call it a restaurant, but it is like casual. I don't know, like a cashew fast food. Yeah, yeah. yeah. On, on King Street in Newtown, it is of course, as the name says, half Japanese and half Mexican. <laughs> and so, like yesterday, this is the, last night was the first night I sat inside. Uh-huh. the store to eat and i noticed that inside there was a mural like a huge wall where Ooh, there was a picture that. like a, a picture um yeah. like a painting of yeah. a, a japanese looking old man wearing a sombrero <laughs> <laughs> and i was like oh this is the visual kind of depiction of what we're doing here eating half japanese half mexican food <laughs> that's actually quite clever oh it's so funny man hilarious um, I got back to listening to some podcasts that I haven't listened for a while. And this week I've been listening to The Guilty Feminist. And I always the Guilty want- Feminist, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always want to do this are- podcast, but we never do. As in like what? What's saying that? that we're feminist, but we're guilty of doing but- something that when it's not very feminist. Oh, not proud. Yeah, but you know, I have a lot of complex feelings about that because I did start mm-hmm. listening to the episode in which um, Helen actually sent to me a few days ago. It was the best of oh, Cal yeah, Wilson. Yeah, 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 that one. Who is, of course, a tremendous um, comedian who sadly yeah, passed away absolutely. at an extremely early age, mm-hmm. like uh, two, three, four weeks ago. Maybe actually back in September. I remember this now. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, October. It was mid-October. She had passed away. And um, I started listening to it, and it was really funny. I, I remember the opening a sort of bit in the episode was like she said um you know someone's given a stop caring about the world when they've cut their hair short and dyed it and like <laughs> had me. no no actually she said colored glasses yes. when you had like bright colored glasses uh-huh. and i just thought of annabelle crab <laughs> and her bright red glasses yeah there are a lot of tv personalities if you look if you look around i feel like there's there are a lot of tv personalities particularly women 50 or maybe 45 plus yeah or start yeah. wearing very bright color for glasses frame yeah 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 i i wonder if that's a sign of what carl wilson had said that you just don't give a fuck anymore and also that you just want to be yourself like i love that i'm not i love that yeah why do you have to conform to a certain outfit standard that everyone follows yeah, my Pilates teacher is um, has short, spiky hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like the algorithmic rendition of what you think of when you think of like if someone from the 90s thought lesbian. Mm-hmm. Well, short, spiky black hair with really funky glasses and she's like the warmest, oh. warmest human being ever, just like super warm and sweet. 
and uh and i just love the vibe that she gives she's someone who i just think yeah she's like reached an age where she gives zero fucks about what people think about her mm-hmm. and it's great the, my favorite bit from the cal wilson episode from the guilty feminist is when she says i'm a feminist but um when i don't want like when a tradie comes to my house and i don't want something fixed i i say to them i'll just have to ask my husband oh, about yeah. this i just have to ask my husband yeah. for permission uh, yeah um, i love that that's so funny i think she was saying that oh no she was approached by a salesperson or something like that oh uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah public place yeah <laughs> to be honest and, and i love and i, I love that, that actually i did that before really? yeah yeah. And I love that actually um the other host woman just actually says actually it's a condition of you uh, women being unable to say no. Mm, that's very we, true. We we do everything. Yeah. We we like go we can lie our asses off. We'll do anything just to actually prevent just to v- avoid saying no because like yeah. we're conditioned to just not be rude to people and not refuse people. True. Yeah. And I, just, I, I thought, yeah, because, like, for me, I am also someone who just, like, finds it deeply uncomfortable to say no. Like, I find it, I find it, like, my whole body mm-hmm. just, like, starts throbbing with fear at the idea of, like, um, refusing someone or, res- mm-hmm. like, refusing someone's request or letting someone down or just, like, putting my own comfort first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a behavior that we really need to unlearn, but it's not an easy thing to do, I think, because I'm guilty of doing that, you know, saying that, just like moving all the responsibility to my husband, saying that, oh, I have to ask my husband and check. <laughs> I know oh my God. I'm not going to accept that sale, but yeah, I just find it, I don't know, like I have no practice of saying no. Yeah. When we were growing up, exactly, exactly. Use, therefore, that the the easiest excuse that I can use. Use, yeah, yeah. Oh, my husband might not want this, so I have to check with my husband. Yeah, yeah. You have an invitation from someone, and you don't want to go, and you know that your (laughs) husband would not fucking care. Yeah. You just bring out your husband. But I think husbands will do the same as well. <laughs> they will bring out their wife as, as an excuse. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. we're so, like, we're so um, uncomfortable with saying no. Yeah. Um, uh, what are you guilty of as a feminist? We really, um, really ask ourselves before. Can you think of I one? feel, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I am still very much... Um, I still buy into that I need to be skinny. I think that's the main thing oh with me. God, yeah. yeah, I still buy into the whole bodily thing. That's that's my worst fem, un, unfeminist trait. Like, mm-hmm. I still care about how what how other people perceive me. Mm-hmm. It's it's very same for me. I think I found I still found it hard. Like, I'll admit that I have a very high tendency of body anxiety, mm-hmm. and and also uh, appearance. Um, anxiety as well to be very specific specific is that jess you will know that I, whenever that we take photos i will always judge myself yeah really harsh so bad yeah I'm, ter- I'm terrible at looking the photos i took for myself um i will always say oh look i i look fat my skin doesn't look good or um it just doesn't look nice and i've become so self-conscious that i hardly post any pictures of myself 
like on yeah, you know, uh, social media before, and usually would just post my dogs or my kids, but I don't really like taking photos as well. But it becomes so bad that ever since I became a mother, and also a mother of a daughter, that kind of shift my mentality with how、mm-hmm. much that I'm so critical of myself because I know that it will affect how my daughter、huh. perceive her own self as well. Yeah, totally. But I think my daughter is such a strong feminist because she will always encourage me. She is such a you know like a cheer squad for me. She would say that no, you look good. You know, don't don't think like that. So <laughs> it's so amazing coming、yeah. from、uh, the actually. I think、um, that yeah 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 yeah. I wonder why we grow up like that. Like I I constantly think about why we have that kind of thinking. As an adult, that we still couldn't let go of that anxiety. I think one of the、um, reason for me personally, I, I don't know how about how you perceive this, but for me personally, is that because our mother is such a beautiful woman. She's a very、mm. mainstream beauty,、mm. and I always feel like growing up, you know, being her daughter is like a sh- not a shadow, but yeah, you know, you're living under her shadow, and yeah, it's very hard. It's very hard. I agree. I agree. Do kind of be she is critical about how we look as well. I'm in my forties, and sometimes if I have a pimple on my face, and turn up at our mom's house, and she would say that, "Why do you have a pimple on your face?" What really? Yeah, she would still question me that. Oh, you have、wow. to under、okay. your skin, and I go, "Oh, okay." Yeah,、mm. so, yeah. I don't know how other people deal with it.、Uh, apart from yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I um, I have a lot of thoughts about this.、Mm-hmm. I think、um, Anne Patchett, like the you know the famed American author, who I whose books I absolutely adore,、mm-hmm. um, and my favorite book of hers is actually a memoir. It's Truth and Beauty.、Um, it's not her、uh, her novels are great, but her my favorite book of hers is Truth and Beauty, which really changed my life. Um, in many ways, it was about her friendship with her friend Lucy. I forget her surname, but she was like、um, a very dear friend who they had went to Iowa's Writers Workshop together. I think in the eighties or the nineties, and it's about that both of their journey into like working out what their own beauty is and their own power、mm-hmm. in beauty. Because you know, in this world, unfortunately, women are still primarily judged by judged by our beauty and valued by our beauty. And so, therefore, when you aren't, when you don't have beauty, when you don't have the currency of, you know, conventional beauty, it's really, really difficult. I have to say, as as a woman,、uh, mm. in the same way that in this world, it's very, very difficult to be a man and not be tall, because that's like, like the first, like ninety percent of someone's first impression of a man is like their height, which I still don't, I really don't understand. But I guess like that's just the way things are. I mean that's not the conclusion that I'll draw if I had like more time to get into it, but just for the sake of this conversation,、um, being not pretty as a woman is like being not tall as a man.、Mm. Um, and, and and I mentioned Anne Patchett because she, I remember her saying that、um, her mother is also very very beautiful, and then she said that、um, growing up it's very difficult to grow up as a daughter of a woman who's stunning. Yes. And I feel like definitely, definitely, I like I don't I don't feel that for you, Helen, because I think you're very, very pretty. 
<laughs> like you know I, I yeah and also my sister the other sister our other sister also very pretty um and I have felt like the odd one out like I've always felt like I'm in the shadow of like I feel the same way you feel about our mother because she is like just like um Hollywood like our mother is Hollywood good looking mm-hmm. and it's like there's a certain really deep and it's a it's a sort of like a, a shameful pain to I think I feel like it's a very shameful pain that I've struggled with because it's like silly, you know, because I feel like it's a, it's a, it feels trivial to like be sad about the fact that I'm not as pretty as my mum. You know, it's stupid. And yet, and yet it still exists. And yet it's still there, you know? I think it exists because the way that how we were brought up, because our mum is very traditional and she sees the value of being traditional. Yeah. 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 The, the prices that she had to pay is mm. enormous. You know, the time that she need to keep herself. I remember our mom usually would take, you know, she's already very beautiful without makeup. That she, yeah, yeah. In order to keep that beauty that she takes out, not hours, but at least an hour if we we're going to go out somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Family had to wait for her. And then she, when I become a teenager, she will be critical of me saying that why, you know, why I she didn't really directly say that why am I fat but she will be asking me that why are you eating that much or you shouldn't be eating that much so mm. I, I think it's because being the first daughter of you know the whole her children she is more critical of she, she maybe she feels like she it's more critical for her to discipline her eldest daughter to she will worry about how other relatives and friends perceive her as well. Mm, like how mm. your child will become is a reflection of a parent. And I feel like I'm constantly being judged by her. So even if you say that I am beautiful and I, no doubt that my friends have said that as well, but I don't, mm. I don't have the confidence yeah. deep, deep enough to say that I'm beautiful myself. Mm-hmm. of how you know our most intimate uh person our mother for our life has never really complimented me so mm-hmm. i guess like you it's like a pain that i find to struggle probably for a lot more years to come that i will need to see therapy for mm-hmm. i yeah. still need to see a therapist yeah and that's why I learned from our mother. That's why I never judge, you know, or I never outright, I wouldn't say outright, but I, I wouldn't talk about appearance with my kids, mm. especially with my daughters that much. And mm. everything will be like positive mm. or I try to be. Like, mm. you know, you don't, I, I don't want her to become so self-conscious about how she will look like and that will stop her being herself. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where are we going to leave from here? Yeah. <laughs> we'll lead straight into Quiz Lady. Oh, story about quiz Asia. Lady. Because um, I know we're going to have a huge discussion about Quiz Lady, but I want well, to. I wanted to, I wanted to add, actually. Uh, yeah. Um, I was thinking about just, I mean, it's really not specifically about the issue of body shaming or like um, this issue of beauty that we're talking about, but it is kind of related to this issue of like you reflect re sort of refracting your sense of what means uh, like what it means to be a parent and what kind of parent that you want to be 
refracted through the experience of you that you have had. I've been thinking about it because like I, I I'm kind of loosely interested in dad father pods. And so, like, you know, <laughs> so for instance, Hamish Blake and his whole spiel about, you know, yeah, how other dads okay. dad, that podcast that mm. I'm kind of mild, used to be mildly obsessed with. Now I can't find myself <laughs> able to go there for an hour and listen to dudes, like straight dudes, talk about how wonderful their daddying is when they're, like, not there, probably not there, like, more than half the time. But anyway, um, what I've noticed, and also Maggie Dent, the parent expert i just have that in quotes you know she's made herself the parent expert of australia she has a new podcast um and it came out a few months ago and where she interviews uh young or not young she interviews australian dads about their dadding method i'm using the word dadding as a verb like hamish blake came that came up with that Okay, yeah. I'm not gonna. Like I'm not gonna do specifically. Yeah, but but male parenting. Yeah, it's a really awful adjective, <laughs> verb, whatever. Yeah, um, but anyway, what I've noticed, Helen, uh, what I've noticed is that um, they really stress the need to always keep telling them their child, like "I love you," no matter what. Like they they say it's so important, like no matter what your child does, the first thing you're supposed to do. And the thing that they keep overpraising is that, oh, my child did this, but the first thing I want them to do, the first thing I make sure that they feel is that I love them unconditionally. And I'm just like, uh, it's so it's so weird and cre like it makes me irk in a way because um, I feel like um, the reason, I'm not saying that a child shouldn't grow up feeling unconditional love. I'm mm -hmm. saying that's like important, obviously. But there must be some other way other than just to say I love you because this is, seems like what the guys do on these podcasts with Hamish Blake. They often just say over and over again, oh, I, whatever my child does, the first thing I do is make sure I say to them, I love you. I don't care what you did. I still love you. Daddy loves you, you know, and he's, they, they say that over and over again. Um, but the thing is I, I keep reflecting on like my upbringing and obviously you and I, we grew up in an immigrant family and we don't like like in immigrant families um speech the love language of speech no, and verbal it's just that they exist yeah we do like nothing <laughs> it's more like i hate you you know i mean i'm not saying our parents said i hated you but it's like yeah it's we there's just like zero, <laughs> yeah there's like no verbal communication when it comes to intimacy affection yeah 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 affection and affection yeah good good one um and so like i i actually grew up feeling like deeply like I'm not going to say like, I'm not going to go on this pod and blame our parents for anything. Cause I think they did a stellar job mm. and I love them to death. They're like the two most important people in my life for sure. Hands down. Um, but, um, I feel like the, I am me and I am the curious and like really crazily ambitious when it comes to wanting to write books person, because I, um, didn't feel loved. Like, I feel like I, I feel like the fuel for my life is actually this lack of feeling unconditional love. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, like, I wonder what it would have been like to grow up um, if I did grow up in, say, just a like a white family or just a family in general that where like unconditional love is drummed into me. I wonder what kind of human being I would be today. I, I know definitely I would not be one someone who wrote books. I know that for sure. I'd probably just be an accountant or a lawyer or like someone with like Sorry. a stable nine to five job. Mm -hmm. 
and but then but then if but then i guess if i you explore that logic to its nth degree then someone can say that i i was espousing the idea that art needs to be created through tragedy or trauma which i also don't believe yeah. in you know a lot of so I'm, like that yeah yeah so i'm kind of like i don't know yeah still thinking about it yeah this is very this is a big differences between east and the west culture when it comes to expressing love like, yeah i think a lot of asian communities and podcasters have talked about this where most of the asian immigrants are children of asian immigrant families never grow up being really expressed being you know they don't feel like they're loved but definitely the parents have expressed in a different way is because the parents themselves never exactly about yeah. how to verbally express their affection to their child their children the only way that they can do is they need to survive i think survival is mm -hmm. the imminent um priority for most uh immigrant families and also families of refugees yeah you know, you need to survive what are you talking about this love unless that you can live there's there's no talk no about loving that. yeah yeah and we need to slowly look at that how you know the the children of immigrants and also our children the next generations the following generations need to know um how we can also verbally express our affections to them besides cutting fruits besides you know packing their lunch besides you mm. know supporting them financially um and also maybe just I, I guess there are a lot of things that we can change as parents um, in this generation that we can look into. Um, obviously, I don't like even though that I agree that it is in, important to say that you love your children, but I don't think it is wise to say it in the way that it's shallow. As in, it, sometimes people say, like for me, when I hear people say, uh, when I first hear the concept, you know, you can verbally express your love through saying that, but you need to mean it because sometimes you have people that say it, but they don't really mean it. And you do get perhaps parents. I, I would like actually like to see, uh, I would like to hear the experience of the people who grew up with a family who had their parents constantly saying they loved them. And when it comes to a need from the children that they don't just need verbal expression of love, they need support, perhaps financially, or maybe they need something else, but the parents won't be able to provide them. How would they feel about that? Yeah. Everyone yeah. agree of love and their concept of love is very different. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I just irk at the sort of uh, totality in which these like dad pods, <laughs> they keep stressing the importance of like saying I love you to the kids. Because mm -hmm. like, I guess, I guess like when you're a three or four or five year old, you don't understand acts of service. Maybe you don't understand like gift giving. Maybe gift giving is something they understand, but like kids, they, 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 their mind have, their minds haven't developed in a way where they understand what love is. I mean, who knows what love is? Like, you know, adults don't know what love is, mm. but like, I, as in like, um, uh, it feels to me it's inadequate, you know, yeah, to, to, 
it, it feels inadequate to just simply rest, rely on the act of saying I love you to a child for them to feel like that, that um, to, for them to feel what you want them to feel kind of like, I, I feel like um, this is reminding me of the book that I've written that's coming out next year. Um, the honey eater. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's about a translator and it really, the, the idea of the book really came out from this conversation I had with Tiffany Chow, who uh, is a translator, Australian, Singaporean translator. Um, where she said that um, in the West there's this fundamental idea that when you have a feeling or an emotion, you express it, or if you have an anxiety, you talk through it, right? Like you verbally express it and you let people around you know about it. That's like a way of connecting. That's like a form of intimacy that is kind of like undeniable, right, in the West. But she said like in the East that that form of connection and intimacy is actually seen as quite selfish. Like in the East, you're supposed to suppress all your anxieties and your feelings um, for the comfort of those around you. And so like, if you have some sort of like pain or if you have anything that you're going through internally, um, the, the way to show your love to those around you is to actually suppress it, is to actually keep it to yourself. Because if you spread it, it's like a germ that you spread around and it contaminates the people around you, you know? And I remember like distinctly um, having a fight with my dad like our dad when I was like 15, 14 and like um, wanting to him to understand this thing I was going through. And then he said something like, he just cut me off because he was like, we don't talk about it. You don't need to tell me words. I was like, but I'm trying to communicate through words, mm-hmm. something that I'm feeling. And he said, these feelings, um, you they're not supposed to be given words. And I just remember that moment was like such a huge explosion in my mind mm-hmm. because it, uh, it was a moment where I, um, sort of like understood that he and I are fundamentally different as people and, and I grew up in the west he grew up in the east and um and like we had very very conflicting ideas about what um an intimate and a con- intimate close relationship looked like you know and it was such a moment because like I kind of realized it was like sort of a small minor tragedy because it was a moment in a, a point in my life where I realized in a way that um, we could never completely connect perhaps because we had such deeply conflicting ideas about what intimacy looks like, you know, between a father and a daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually um, sort of continuing from that train of thought, um, the special friend I had dinner with last night, she's also uh, a person of colour, a woman of colour, and she said to me this a wonderful, amazing thing that I really connected with. And she said um, the reason why she has built her life around trying to be extremely articulate. She's like one of the most, she is the most emotionally articulate person I know. Um, She said it's because like she has this burning desire, this burning need to have people understand her. Mm -hmm. And like using words is the only way she has learned that she could perhaps get people to understand what she's feeling and and therefore to feel seen. You know, when, when you say you want people to understand you, when teenagers go off, on their little, you know, um, hissy fits. Um, it's it's like it's their crying to be um, understood, which is the same thing as wanting to be seen, right? But that's all we want to be um, when we when we move through this world. Every single human being, our um, mo, uh, the only sort of like fundamental similarity we all have is the need to be seen, right? Mm-hmm. But like as immigrants, like I feel like 
I, I, it really resonated with me what my friend said last night because I realized that's why I have really made an effort in my life to read a lot of books and especially read a lot of feminist books because um, in, it's in feminism and it's in the words of women who have died and wrote, written books and feelings that I have felt myself seen. Mm-hmm. And, and I've used their words in my own vernacular in order for people, in order to like try to be seen, you know, because um, I have definitely grown up feeling like I haven't been understood and seen because um, you, because uh, you and I, our parents literally don't have the same language as us, like literally not the same language, you know? It's so very hard for kids growing up in immigrant families and like you said uh, and your friend said that the differences of um, emotional expression from your friend the differences between the east and the west is so i can't even find a word for it just um you know in the east we consider that you don't talk about those feelings because you don't want to trouble other people you don't want to put burdens on other people while they're still trying to survive you know and Mm. that's that's justifiable i think that's understandable but um it comes to a time that we just have to move forward because if we don't talk about all these feelings and you don't get to let other people to know you or know about you you eventually die from suffocating you know emotionally literally Mm. And I learned this the hard way when I'm start when I have started going out with my husband, you know, like decades ago. <laughs> um, he would just be baffled of why that I am angry at things, and I can't find words to tell him mm-hmm. why I'm angry. And because I always thought the the only intimacy, the partnership I've seen was between our parents, and our parents have this idea of um you don't have to say it and someone else has already know that means love which is such a fucking misconception yeah yeah like Um, uh rowan keating's (laughs) when you say nothing at all that song is the biggest misconception about what love is and but also a great song (laughs) our, our parents always believe that they always have to prepare things for the other person without the other person saying it to them. That is love. Yeah, zero communication equals <laughs> best communication. And I grew up believe that, oh, when I fall in love with someone or someone loves me, they're supposed to know what I'm thinking. And that was No just way. No, so, I'm not, yeah. Just, the first few years of our relationship was just so hard because he's trying to get me to talk and I have no words to how to describe my feelings. I mean, 20 years afterwards, we're a lot more better because I open up and I understand that the importance of communication, the importance of expressing, you know, your emotion. I'm so glad it worked out. (laughs) (laughs) And I see this in a lot of mixed culture couples as well. Like one person believes that someone else should already know what they think or what they want. And the other person is just totally confused. (laughs) Yeah. I no, I don't. I never. I I never know what goes on in anyone's head. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Just one day, my um, well, early in our relationship, my hus- my husband back then he was my boyfriend. He's like, if you don't tell me, 
I am not a mind reader. I'm not a um tele. What what's the word? Telepathic. Telepathy. Yeah, te telepathic. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I can't read your mind. You have to tell me. Mm. <laughs> I had always assumed that when people are in relationship, you're supposed to know what to do. You know? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So communicate, communicate with your partners, communicate with your families. Um, that's the way that you're trying to get through them. And communication, verbal communication, is something that human has no other. Um, animal has animal have all other sort of forms of communication, but we have such a variety of communicative forms: writing, speaking. Yeah, it's so interesting. And then now with sort of like sort of limitlessness and the expansive world of technology, mm. you know, everything that I think, everything that we have as humans, like in the last five gazillion. Billion, however many years we've been on this planet, year. Um, I think what ultimately we've wanted to do with everyone around us is um, try and com like communicate that in order to be seen, right? In order to feel understood. Yeah. And it's so startling to think that even with all these new communicative tours and even people who speak the same language, right? Like I'm lucky I get to communicate with you in the same language, like in English, and we. Um, it's everything is an attempt to just get as close as possible to seeing, okay. being seen, and also seeing other people for who they truly are. Mm -hmm. And it feels to me like at the moment, verbal communication and being like verbally kind of articulate and finding words to express emotional uh, feelings. That is the number. That is still the, I guess, the superior means in which I find myself like leaning on in order to make that connection with people hi there if you're new to our show thanks for tuning in into our program and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time and if you're a regular listener we're forever grateful for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty it has really helped this podcast to gain a great exposure as our mission is to center the perspectives of people who look like us, who are marginalized historically to the sideline of conversation. So if you haven't already, we encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google or Spotify and leave a rating and review. And of course, as a small podcast program, we rely on listeners' support to continue this work. Please do check out our Buy Me Coffee page and make a donation in order for us to continue to advocate the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Um, let's jump into cultural consumption of this week. Um, I want to start off with something that's probably not very age appropriate for me because I have. There's no such thing as um, like you could read <laughs> the very hungry caterpillar. Who cares? Um, I've been delving in, into manga the last few weeks and just reading some of the Chinese illustrators' work. And also I um, picked up a book that I got for my daughter ages ago. And I know that she's been following this writer for a very long time, so I bought this book earlier this year for her. And I picked up from her room one day when I was trying to picked up laundry, dirty laundry on her. 
bedroom floor. Anyway, so it's called Ghost Book by Remy Lai. And I got her this book because I know how much she loves Remy Lai. And I, I didn't, when I got this book, I didn't think that much of it. I just thought that, oh, okay, it's another Remy Lai work. She, she's going to love it. Um, it's better for her. You will occupy her for, I don't know, an hour of the time because she reads so fast. Mm-hmm. So this, and when I start reading it, I'm like, oh my God, all the Asians in the West need to read this uh, comic because it talks so much about the ghost c- culture yeah. of the uh, Chinese history. Oh, not history, not so much history, but just the legends behind the ghost uh, world, the underworld, and uh, yeah, Ghost Month, which is like ghost month, ghost around month. around like September. I mean, August, yeah, August, August September, yeah, yeah, yeah. August, which okay. features in my book, The Honey Eater, by the yes. way. Like yes. I, I talk yes. about all these like myths that I remember. One thing that I that has stuck with me when I grew up was like my mum, our mother. She uh-huh. would like insist every single night to take the clothes off the line yes. out the backyard because she said she was so adamant. She was like, if you don't, the ghosts will like um. Will possess the, the possess the um clothes. Yeah, exactly. And like she literally, like really, like it was the, a belief that was as strong as like the belief that the, the sky is green, uh, the sky is blue. You know, it's like it was really, really adamant. Like we would dr- be driving hours away from some holiday, and if we weren't home by dusk, it's like shit fall, man. Like sh- all hell broke loose because like the, the she would like have to take the clothes in by sundown. Yeah, I think that's just one of the things that our mom trying to force us to bring our laundry in. It's not to do. <laughs> no, I don't do that. Uses the fear factor to make us to do the chore. Yeah, but do you do that? Do you take the? Do you bring the clothes out, or do you? Uh, like... I don't really hang my clothes out, so I hang it in the. Oh, okay. My sun room, so it dries oh, pretty okay. well. But um, I think it's... I still. This has got nothing to do with ghosts, but I think it's just another fear factor that our mother gives us, <laughs> like the her cushion. That she... If you sit on cushions, your ass will be numbed Rot- or something. Rotten. Rotten. <laughs> Is it because she didn't want us to sit on cushions? She wanted us to, you know, her butts to sit on her cushions. That's why, why? because she thinks that we will destroy the cushions. Is that why? Well, I think she's just our mom's OCD with germs and <laughs> cleanness. She doesn't want anyone else to touch her stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, um, coming back to ghost book. So it's it goes back to um, if for anyone who doesn't know much about Chinese culture on ghosts, this is a very good starting point. I think this book. Um, there's a lot of characters that is from. There are a lot of characters that are from the Chinese myth of the uh, their underworld. There's the what's it called? Horse face and the ox head. Ma Mian, as in yeah, the, the fawn, the fawn, the supervisors of collecting the souls from the human world. And there's also um, the wandering ghosts. There's also Gian Luo Wang, which is the king of the underworld. So this comic book follows the journey of a boy and a girl who's trying to find out who's actually supposed to be living 
um and it's very very heartwarming as well and and also because it's got a dog in this book <laughs> i love stories with dogs in them so that's really cute so Remy like ghost book if you don't want to get the book um borrow from your library yeah it will only take you an hour to finish this book but it's such a such a wonderful little read for a relaxing afternoon i think yeah Remy Lai is an indonesian born singaporean Mm-hmm. Brisbane person. She now yeah. lives in Brisbane. Brisbane. Yes, that's right. Which is really cool. Yeah, I don't mind Brisbane. <laughs> it's Melbourne. It's Melbourne. I have a gripe. <laughs> yeah, we've already lost so many listeners. Oh, because of Melbourne. Yeah, sorry, sorry, folks. Yeah, don't. I don't hate Melbourne, folks. I just maybe I do actually. Did I actually say I don't like Melbourne people? No, maybe I think I you say you don't like the city. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really sad. I, I don't know if you get, if you got time to go to the library. It's really sad at the end of the the book because there's a departure of a certain creature that we all love. Oh. Yeah, that I hate to see because we talked about this before we start recording. About how yeah, yeah. dog can. Well, live. it's related to yeah. Well, it's related <laughs> to um. I guess what we're about to talk about, which is Quiz Lady, the mm-hmm. focal point of our um yeah, episode. Yeah, so Quiz Lady dropped last week uh, and on Apple. Uh, sorry, on Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it on Disney Blue, when we opened Blue it. Blue in the US. Yeah, right. and um, texted Helen about it, and Helen was like, "Oh my god, it's dropped!" Uh-huh. And then you watched it the same night. Yes. Um, I really loved it. There are a lot of things I loved about it. Um, there's, uh, I thought it was really great that they played, sort of like conflicting um what they usually play per, like their type personalities character yes. personalities so aquafina you know historically has played crazy <laughs> you know in the hood kind of bronx woman mm-hmm. um and uh sandra o oh, i guess sandra o oh has a much more diverse range of characters yes. that she's played yeah. but she plays like the crazy older sister <laughs> who just like is like completely aimless and uh, and just like uh, yeah they're playing against type mm-hmm. um I, I loved the way that in which um, they approached these um, characters. I thought it was so great, especially just the Aquafina's hunch was so funny. I, I was like, is she? Oh my god! She, I mean, like, I, I look but at the thing uh, is, like, she I, also I, hunches. I, she also hunches in um, the farewell. I feel like that's just Aquafina's oh, oh, okay. look. Like she's a very hunchy, kind of brooding kind of face. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, my favorite bit was actually, I think my most laugh out loud moment was when, and I'm, and you know, I don't like violence mm. of any sort, but I actually l- lost my shit um, in the first scene where we see Sandra O's oh character when she gets when she hit enters. by the car. Yeah, enters. you know, in the back, you see her in the background yes. and she gets hit by the car. <laughs> that is, it was just fucking hilarious. Um, Would you imagine that we're going to have a lot of uh spoilers spoilers yeah the next three minutes yeah lady directed by jessica Yu, written and produced by uh jane d'angelo so jess has probably uh talked about some of the narratives of this movie it is a heartfelt comedy about estranged asian american sisters and their a game show so and uh and yum which is a very funny very strange yeah yum Yum. it's a cantonese right I, I think I feel it's like it's Cantonese. Yeah, it's Korean. 
Oh,对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，对对对，
that's that's a very, um stereotypical of an old. I know it is. Oh, yeah, exactly. Single. Classic, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But um, Holland Taylor is, you know, an icon. Yeah, she's so great. they're like extremely, extremely lucky. It's extremely great that they got her. It really pop- props up the film. Uh-huh. Jason Schwartzman plays the CD um, antagonist. Yeah, the annoying. He's the champion of the quiz. Yeah. Who Aquafina comes in and beats. So that's brilliant. Um, I love the scenes in the um in the pet rescue. Um, <laughs> yes. Where, yeah. So the, the highlight um, for me as well. The, the bad guy, the baddie in the movie, is like a guy who. What, Actually, does he steal dogs or something? Or he no, rescues? I think he rescued their dog shelters. They're not yeah, really dog shelters, yeah. No. And there was one character, dog, who I wanted to mention called Crispy, and I just thought that is the perfect name for a dog. If I ever had a dog, I would call it Crispy. Isn't that <laughs> cute, Crispy? Where that uh, Jenny, played by Sandra O, uh, crashes into that dog shelter place, mm. and mm. then the guy start explaining that oh i don't have any money anymore is because i'm looking after all these dogs oh and he renamed linguini as porky yeah <laughs> that's so cute yeah um what else i think the for me the highlights there's so many highlights apart from the final scene the charade is so personal oh yeah it reflects how the connection of the two characters cannot be replaced by any other people exactly exactly yeah, yeah. Um, I think the audition for the game show was funny as well. When she gets high? Yeah, when she was drunk in juice. Yeah. Can I just say, when I accidentally got high in my lifetime, it's not like that. <laughs> oh, is it? It was more like, it was more like the hell at the end. You know, when she enters oh, some yeah. sort of like hell. Yeah, I had the, yeah, I just, me yeah, and different response. narcotics, no, yep. So the but the clouds were so cute. The little clouds around her, it was so yeah. cute. They picked Harry Styles' Watermelon Sugar. That was so funny. It's a background music. Oh. Of Booksmart, was it? Was it? Yeah, called yeah. They had a yeah. they had a bit of the scene. Sp- yeah, when they also they get go high. And, um, animation. You know, they become yeah. animated. That was pretty. Yeah, good. exactly. It, yeah, and it's like there's there's a episode in Broad City too when um, Abby gets her uh, teeth removed, her wisdom teeth, and they accidentally give her too many doses of painkiller. Yeah, and she goes on a trip. <laughs> um, what else in the movie? Oh, I want to talk about the Asian element. I don't know if it happens in the Western uh, Western families, but the 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 quote "You're just like your mum" is like a absolutely landmine for me. That no yeah. one should ever say it say? to Asian unless woman. you want to get um hammered Murdered. in the head yeah by helen yes yeah, so. <laughs> this is such a um explosive quote that you should never tell say to a woman i think yeah, yeah you're just like your mom yeah. i would love to be told i'm just like my mom and um, i love my mom <laughs> um what else uh asian elements okay the Asian family visiting another be- better Asian family, comparing yourself to another better. Oh yeah, the cousins. Yeah, yeah the, the cousins. cousins. That was really. I, I, feel, yeah. I feel related. Oh yeah. I mean, but- we, we never we don't have families in Australia, yeah. but I do remember um, quite vividly that when we first you probably wouldn't remember because you were only four when we first arrived in Melbourne, we were taken to visit like our parents' friend. Or our parents' relatives' friend, like long distance, mm-hmm. that we have no mm-hmm. idea about. Mm-hmm. But they always, they, they always live in a mansion, and they always mm. have this really good-looking older siblings. 
Yeah, so I feel like, oh, that's an experience I had when I was growing up. Yeah, because you were 12. Yeah, visiting like a better, wealthier Asian family. Yeah, right. Interesting. Um, what else about the, with the Asian element? Uh, Aquafina's uh, her job as a accountant or a numbers <laughs> person. Yeah. It's an internal audit, yeah. When yeah. I, um, so when I when the when the uh, scene that popped up with Excel spreadsheet, yeah, it's giving me the headache. Like yeah. I ever want to see sitting in the front of a computer and staring at Excel and look at numbers. Audit. I know. Oh my God. Yeah, actually, this came out with my work the other day. We were talking about Excel spreadsheets, and like all of us, like me and my female colleagues, were like, it is such a foreign. It is such a foreign document, and I actually don't know how to do it. Like, like I like, I don't know how to. You know how they're like the Excel spreadsheet. There are yeah, there are actual modes. Like I, I know um, my partner, he's like very good at it, and like he knows how to do like code stuff and just like yeah. I, I, like for me, I just zero idea what it's meant to do. I'm like tick 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 thirty here. <laughs> no idea how the algorithms work or like the. The um sort of、uh, is there algebra involved? I don't know. Yes, there is. Yeah, there's a lot of maths involved in it. Excel sheets. It's yeah, it's a headache. I don't like dealing with it.、Uh, yeah, there are subtle appearances of bubble tea where Sandra O is constantly carrying a a drink. I feel like that's quite Asian. Where you uh huh uh huh bubble tea. Um. A scene that my daughter, because I watched it twice, I watched it again with my daughter last night.、Um, a scene that we laughed out so loud was when they were on their way to Philadelphia and they start having arguments on in the car and they almost ran into another car and they're、uh-huh. <laughs> the guys like learn to guy, drive. Yeah, learn to drive. And Sandra Oakes called him. Racist. Racist. <laughs> the car reversed, and out comes an Asian man. Yeah, Asian man. <laughs> that was really funny. And she goes, "Oh, sorry." Yeah. yeah. Oh, and also how Sandra O、oh、had this quote that she probably said twice or three times in the movie when she's kind of weaponizes her race by saying, "Oh, I love it." She just、Emma. keeps calling. She keeps saying, "Do you know how hard it is to be an Asian woman in this country?" And she says it like one point to her own sister, and everyone nods. Everyone agrees with her because if you don't, they don't agree with her, you're gonna be seen as a racist. Yeah, yeah. I love that line. I would love to just use that line every time, everywhere. Yeah. Anytime I'm micro attacked, I'm like. It's because I was a, a person of color. That's why. Like you can just go around playing the victim card. Yeah. Because I'm Asian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Yeah, that was that was very. I、funny. also love. I love. Um, I mean, I I've been to Philly. I think Philly is. Um, I wouldn't say it's superior to New York. I mean, it's just a different city, but、mm-hmm. it is tremendous, and it's absolutely like necessary to visit if you're on the east coast of the US.、Mm-hmm. And I love the hotel they go to. Um, and、oh, yeah, Tony Hale,、Franklin. yeah, who、Franklin. plays Ben Franklin, who's obviously we all know him as、um, um, Arrest- Buster,、really? Arrested Development. Yeah,、um, fantastic actor, love him, and yeah, he he、um, he's great in that role. But also the hotel is so cool and kitsch. I would love to actually go stay in a hotel like that. 
it's called some so much culture. So funny. <laughs> the scene where they trying to check them in and Central is questioning or his um what the modern technologies. Yeah. Ask very funny as well. Um, anything else? No, I um uh, I, I I feel like it's a superior film to um Joyride. Joyride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I love this much more than Joyride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very upbeat, funny, heartfelt. It's almost like a buddy road trip. Uh, it is an absolute delight. I think for me, it's equally good as Joyride. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's because at the very end, uh, we don't want to spoil for our listeners. Just go and watch it. The end, Shuray part. It was just like uh, you'll pull your heartstring. So. Oh yeah, I, 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 yeah, we we cried. Yeah, I, I cried. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a clever script, I think. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. If you'd like to support what we do here at Asian Pitches Down Under, head to Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week, and we'll chat to you next time. Bye.